Hi everyone, I'm Jay, and welcome to another episode of 404 Cybersecurity Not Found, powered by Samurai Security. Be sure to contact us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Now on with the episode. Hey guys, welcome to our latest podcast. It's Jay, um, and I'm also here with David and Luke. How are you guys? Drinking beer. Fair. (laughs) Very good, thank you, Jay. How are you? I'm all right. It's a bit warm. Um, today we're going to be covering the uh, the tech hearing um, between Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, as well as the um, the Garmin hack and what we know now um, about the uh, the Twitter hack. <laughs> if we just go through a quick rundown of the tech hearing, because I wrote I wrote a blog about it on uh, well yesterday um, about kind of the uh, <laughs> the most the weirdest parts of it. Um, so that's the uh, 30% cut that Apple's taking out of the apps, which is great because they've also talked about upping it to 40% as opposed to 30%, which is great for you know small businesses. The emails that um, Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> has had kind of outed about purchasing uh, Instagram a couple of years ago. Feel free to stop me at any point. As well as the fact that Jeff Bezos just completely tried to like sidetrack the question of does Amazon ever use seller data to make its own business decisions? How did he sidetrack that, Jay? What did what what did he do? Well, I mean, he said, what I can tell you is we have a policy against using seller-specific data to aid our private label business. I'm quoting here. But I can't guarantee you that the policy has never been violated. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, like... I don't know. Do you know what? I don't know I don't know what your thoughts on this are, but th- this whole thing seems a little odd to me. I mean, who... who... Who was responsible for calling this this meeting? I don't know because then you know, who's responsible. Which which U.S. lawmaker? So they just said, okay, I think we need to get Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google together, and uh, and we need to have a chat. I don't because know. they're all getting too big and too powerful. I don't know because then they then they go and they go completely nuts and say, oh yeah, so Google's working with China, and then they go off on this sidetrack, and it's like they're not even sticking to one specific subject. It's just everywhere. It doesn't sound like it was particularly well organized as well. I mean, you know, to to be from what I'm reading here, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was asked about removing tweets, removing Donald Trump Jr.'s tweets from Twitter. I mean, what? You know, how can you possibly have a meaningful, you know, meeting when people don't know the difference between Facebook and Twitter? Oh, my gosh, that that got me so angry. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, who's it? Who's whose benefit is this for? Because I get the feeling that you know uh, Mark Zuckerberg and you know and and the rest of them are just going to be sat there thinking, well, you know, this is a bit daft, isn't it? Uh, probably, you know, I could just imagine them all going for a beer afterwards. It ju- it just it just sounds like a bit of a joke to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you take down that uh, that post that was Donald Trump's son? Uh, no, because it isn't my company. <laughs> It's so no, stupid. I Sorry. I mean, they've done this before, haven't they? They did this, they did the whole sort of Cambridge Analytica thing with Mark Zuckerberg. And, you know, there's been a few times where, where did you think this is just the government trying to let, trying to sort of, you know, show that they're still in charge? Say, look, you know, we, we you know, you may think it's all the, 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 glo- you know, the global tech companies that are running the show, but 
it's not it's really still us do you think there's some some kind of you know uh, some of that going on as i said like i i think it's mainly so that the government can say to these people who are very rightly paranoid about their data now so they can turn around and be like hey we had this hearing be like happy that we've organized this for you now you can shut up and go back to i don't know browsing your incel forums or whatever and this uh, this Google working with China as well, you know, uh, obviously money being um, uh, transferred from the Chinese military over to, to Alphabet, and uh, obviously some some concerns being raised about that. But obviously, what uh, you know that that you know Google don't turn around and say <laughs> anything uh, that's potentially harmful to their company, and, and say it was the AI work you know the, the, uh, that they're doing for China um that, that that this is happening for and you know what maybe that's the truth i mean obviously google are a very big player from an ai point of view and maybe there's some maybe that that, that that is the case but um you know these are these are some of them are pretty daft questions i i think and even if there was some truth what do they expect these guys to say and you know, I, I find it odd that they're choosing to 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 bring together the you know the figureheads of the companies, if you like, when perhaps there's people that may be more appropriate to speak to within the organisations that, that that weren't the CEOs of them, uh, but they want the CEOs. So so to me, I think there might be a bit of you know the, the, the image of this may be more important than any meaningful goal that it's trying to achieve. Yeah. If we're only going to cover it briefly, I, I think maybe we maybe we leave it at that before we head into uh, conspiracy theory territory. Oh, I have plenty of conspiracy theories to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. Let's let's. Do you know what? It's nonsense. So let's move on because I don't think there's anything. Yeah. Anything of merit in that at all? I think it's a total waste of everybody's time, and nothing nothing meaningful has come of it. So what 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 a strange thing for them to do. Let's move on. <laughs> let's go. Um, so are we wanting to move on to Garmin? Yeah, let's talk about Garmin because that's, I mean, that's a, that's a subject that's, uh, that, you know, that, that affected me. So I got up, I did, I read about it first. I read that there'd been a, a, uh, an attack against Garmin and that Garmin had, uh, lost connectivity. So people couldn't upload their runs or, uh, other activities, their steps or whatever that the, the Garmin watches recorded into the, uh, Garmin Connect app. I thought, oh, okay, has it? Hmm. I don't recall seeing any problems. Uh, went onto the app on my phone and subsequently saw the messages informing me that they were, in quotes, down for maintenance, uh, which obviously is nonsense, as we know. Um, I mean, and this has been, you know, covered in quite a bit of depth now by many different people. And we're, we're you know, we're a bit past the curve as, as far as reporting it as news. Um, clearly, uh, particularly as my Garmin app now is is working again, albeit quite slowly. But I think there's a there's a wider discussion to be had on this. Um, you know, this was a uh, a uh, a ten million ransom that was being made allegedly, and the statement from Garmin is that the you know the key has been recovered, and that is the point at which services started coming back online again. So a little message uh, from Garmin saying, we're pleased to announce uh, everything is getting back to normal, et cetera, et cetera. So how did that happen, right? So there's this, from what I gather, uh, it's illegal um, in the States for a company to interact with 
E Corp uh, and similar organisations, Evil Corp and similar organisations, which are hitting people with ransomware. It's, it's actually against the law to pay the ransom. Yet, the key has been recovered. And I have heard nothing from, you know, there's been no reports from the NSA or the FBI or, or any other cybersecurity company that the key has been recovered from anywhere. So you tell me, you know, what's happened there then? And I think it's been a really interesting uh, case study and what not to do with your uh, like disaster recovery plans and like taking backups and providing resilience. I think um, as more details come out, I'd like to know a little bit more about what went so wrong um, with Garmin in particular. But I mean, as, as a data subject, Dave, what, how do you feel about the data being accessed? Um, and I mean, there's been like... Really, think there's been no reports um, that any of the data was actually stolen um, or has been taken off of their servers. It was just encrypted. But I mean, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna hack somebody, you may as well go the full full way and uh, try and steal some of the data as well. So I mean, it's, t- it's totally plausible that they have done that. Um, what do you think about your data being on there, or the sort of data you have in the Garmin ecosystem, if you like? Well, I don't know, right? So, so if, if I'm honest with you. Um, so there's, there's there's how I feel about it collectively, and there's how I feel about it on a on a on a personal level affecting me. Uh, in terms of how it affects me personally, I don't know. You know, my my views are perhaps different to most. I don't really give a hoot personally, right? My my own personal data because there's nothing in there really. I think that's that I would consider. Uh, you know, that I would care about somebody else knowing about. However, when you collectively put all of that together from multiple sources and the impact and implications that can have, you know, it suddenly becomes, you know, one record. Well, you can't really monetize a record because you can't see trends or statistics in a single record, not easily anyway. If you collect together multiple records from, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people even, and look at that data statistically, you can start to get useful and meaningful information, which uh, could be used for you know, marketing purposes, um, could be solved to data mining companies, could be used for political reasons even. And, and then it becomes valuable, right? And that clearly isn't right. You, know, you shouldn't be, uh, without their permission, grabbing multiple people's information and monetizing it. But as we know, or as we're informed, allegedly, um, the the ransomware that was used in this particular attack was wasted locker, I believe, or, or at least that's what's being alleged uh, and speculated. And my understanding is with wasted locker that wasted locker isn't one of the newer variants of ransomware that actually steals the data. It's it's one of the ones that encrypts the data and holds the key. So they don't actually hold the data; they just hold the key, the decryption key. If that is the case, then clearly the significance of the breach is far less. But how do we know this, right? So, you know, details aren't made, you know, I think there's a whole discussion that needs to be had, isn't there, around transparency and, you know, the the results of investigations being shared openly with the the entire, entire community because... We're all in on it, right? If you're a, if you're a, a, an owner of a Garmin watch, you're part of this. You know, this breach affects you. You're, you're, not, you're not just, a, you know, s- somebody standing to one side and looking in at it. You're, you're, you're part of it. And as such, I 
belief, the public need to be informed um, technically. What you know, what's gone on? You know, what? H- how has this happened? Was my data leaked? Explain it to me. And sometimes I think that you know we 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 don't get given the full picture, and that doesn't seem right to me. I don't think there. Are, I, I can see like from a from a business point of view, like I the more information they give, the more open to like a lawsuit they are right like um the blackboard hack um a couple of weeks ago was it yeah two weeks ago um now most of us uh, that work at samurai are university graduates or have uh, some so therefore have some records with blackboard um, and we've all been emailed uh, by our respective uh, universities and we've had the you know oh we're sorry your data's got breached and stuff like that um but uh, a couple of days ago i saw an advert for people uh doing a class action lawsuit against Blackboard uh, for people in the UK that have been affected by it. So, I mean, from Garmin's point of view, if your data was stolen, they're not going to tell you, are they, unless they have to, because it just opens them up to this whole lawsuit like we've seen against Equifax and uh, other large companies like that. So I I wish they would. Um, I wish companies would be more transparent, but I just can't see it. Well, I think, yes, you're right. You make a very good point, actually. But I think... Um... Maybe, maybe there needs to be a, you know, uh, I, I mean, legally, if we look at this from the, you know, the point of the ICO, everybody whose de- details have been affected is meant to be informed of the breach and what happened, you know, from from that point of view. So one of two things, um, either that's, uh, that 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 particular ruling is being ignored, um, because obviously they're, they're, you know, they're UK EU citizens. They're still they're they're, they're covered under uh, GDPR. Either that's being ignored, or they're you know the, it, actually the truth of the matter is you know the their investigation I, has shown that that those that data hasn't been um, stolen. It was literally just encrypted. Yeah, absolutely. I still think the. the- like the backups and stuff like that. I still, I still don't understand how how you could encrypt everything from one thing. I still think that's a well, probably a, a good topic of discussion um, in terms of how how you'd access somebody's network and completely bring them to the ground. Like, there's no there's no backups. There's no like reversing snapshots or anything like that. It's just they're in, bang, you're done. Well, I think it's one of the. I mean, you know, this, this was a similar thing with Blackboard as well, wasn't it? You know, let's just be clear. By the way, when we say Blackboard, we're talking about B A U D. We're not talking about Blackboard, the the learning platform. I'm sure those guys are sick to the back teeth of being associated with that breach. It's nothing to do with the the, the learning platform Blackboard. Let's just get that get that clear. But it was the same sort of thing with those guys, you know, wasn't it? And when you look, when you look at all of the, the you know where ransomware has caused these kind of issues, I. It always surprises me because it's almost like you've been caught unaware, like you didn't expect that to happen. When ransomware is so incredibly prevalent, how can you how can you not expect that at some point somebody's going to try to take this this type of attack against you? And it's you know much of this is avoidable. You know if you have appropriate fault tolerance, you know you have appropriate um, uh, recovery plans and contingency plans and uh you know duplicate backup sites you know it's it's beyond me if i'm honest how how you can't be in a position just to 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 roll back i'll be interested to know a what changes they intend to make as a result of this and that again i think would be useful to hear transparently um but b you know what what went on here 
you know, what were you missing? What, why did that take, what, what did you do wrong? Because perhaps the lessons that can be learned from that can be beneficial to everybody. Absolutely. And that was like one thing. Um, and I've still got to like give like props to um, Maersk, uh, like after they got hit with NotPetya um, and released some really fantastic in-depth um, case studies into what they did and how their recovery uh, happened. I mean, it was absolutely amazing to to like get insight into one of the largest companies in the world and how they deal with their systems being like totally owned by not Petra and just building them all up and starting again. Um, so yeah, if you, if you are interested, I'd check that out. Well, RSA, I worked with RSA a little bit, not long after it happened, but RSA were breached, weren't they heavily with, uh, uh, with the, the, uh, I think it was, what was the product they had? I can't remember now. It was one, it was cure ID or something like that. Um, that that was uh, the information was uh, stolen to enable the attackers to get access to Lockheed Martin, and you know I think to the credit of RSA they were they were very transparent about this and what took place, um, and they also in fact they started using it as part of their sales talks. You know the the, uh, the anatomy of a breach. I remember uh, rocking a load to some of those uh, presentations, and I think that's to their credit. Obviously, I'm not condoning the fact that they got caught or the the ways in which they got caught, but I think it's it's to a company's credit if they, you know, if, if they're a bit more transparent. Although, you know, I completely take your point, uh, Luke, with regard to criminal action. And as you know, um, Summer, I've been involved in in creating information for help with uh, certain legal organisations that are having um, class actions and group actions taken against them. You know, we've we've helped create some of the documentation and reporting to help collect evidence um, against them. But it looks an awful lot worse, doesn't it, I think, if you have to sort of force and squeeze this information out of companies rather than just hold their hands up and say, do you know what? These are the things we did right. These are the things we did wrong. Let's let's own it. You know, let, let's own this breach and for the benefit of everybody, be open about it. Yeah, I didn't know if we could say that. Um, but yeah, that was enough to put it. <laughs> Well, I didn't. I didn't say who it was. I, I, I don't know. If we, I, I, I don't think we can give. I don't know if we can or we can't give details, but I won't anyway. Which just, just, you know, just just using that as an example. That's all. So, have we? Have we? Have we got anything else to um, to say about this? Uh, about the, the the incident with Garmin? Other than uh, you know, I think I think there's there's perhaps room, and I think we have had a quick chat about it before, haven't we? But there's perhaps room to go over. Um, perhaps coming at it from a different angle, the the, the whole rights and wrongs of uh, of paying uh, uh, ransomware. I don't know how they got around it. Um, they're not supposed to pay the ransom directly. I've heard, so it sounds to me like perhaps some lawyers have got involved. I'm guessing this is a you know I'm just hypothesising. This isn't a statement of fact. Before I get any uh, law threats, <laughs> court threats. Um, I suspect that, that the lawyers have been involved and they've, uh, you know, they've had a good look at this and they've thought, okay, well, let's, let's find a way where we can, we can pay these guys somehow without making a direct payment to them so we don't break the law. Um, but I can't think of another way how they would have got hold of that decryption key. I don't know about you, Luke. No, that's, I think that's, I mean, all, everybody's, all the speculation is that they, um, that's what they did. They paid it, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know how they would get it otherwise. It's not like you can just go and hack them back, I guess, unless the ransomware crews like OPSEC is terrible, but it's unlikely. 
Do you think somebody else paid it for them then? A partner or an associate or some, you know, uh, affiliated party paid it to get around the, uh, you know, the the the, the law, the US law? I'm sure there are many slippery ways to do that sort of thing, right? Like creative accounting. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. There'll be a way. Okay. Well, should we, should we move on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you guys... If you guys want to move on to the uh, to the Twitter hack, yeah, okay, well, and what we know, yeah, now. we, I mean, we, I think, I think, we, I think we've discussed this on a previous podcast, haven't we? Um, but we didn't know an awful lot about it. Um, and to be fair, we still don't know an awful lot about it now, other than the mechanism, um, or at least some details of the mechanism of how they got access to. Uh, these high-profile accounts and indeed numerous other accounts. Um, what we know, according to uh, Twitter's own site and their own announcement, is that it was social engineering that a small number of uh, employees were uh, vished. Uh, vish being phishing, but over the phone in a in a voice call. Now, this this wasn't. Um, it wasn't put in those terms in the release. What what they've said is through a phone spear phishing attack. So if we're speculating on what phone spear phishing attack means, you could say, well, what what do we think? Do we think it's 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 email on the phone, uh, text on the phone, or is it is it a, a, a call uh, on the phone? And and the truth is, we you know we 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 don't really know. Although there is some incredible um, things that you can do with fraudulent uh, SMS text messaging. And and actually, it's some, something I want to explore more in another podcast, maybe even next week, thinking about it. Um, but I, I think the smart money is on this being a uh, a phone call that they're actually phoned up. Um, I don't know. Is that, is that, is, is that what you've been uh, reading about, Luke? Yeah, like it's perfectly summed up, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, like we we've like seen firsthand like how these sort of things can be abused, right? So it absolutely doesn't surprise surprise me. Uh, when we when the story first like came out, I did there was a bit of me that thought potentially like malicious insider or a group of malicious insiders, but I, it makes me, I'm a bit I don't know I don't I'm not sure if I'm relieved or not that it was uh, social engineering in the end. To be honest with you. I, I, and, and again, you know, I suppose we've only got the word of the employees themselves that 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 this is the case. You know, I mean, you know, the, the last time we discussed this, I think that's where we were leaning that it was a that it was a a, a, a malicious employee rather than a an employee who who had fallen for a an elaborate sort of phone call, if you like. But I think there's an awful lot to be looked at here i mean you know when you when you watch your you know we have not seen much of him have we darren brown recently but um if you watch your darren browns uh you know in that 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 kind of although that's very showmanship but there there are definitely ways of of manipulating people of making choices which they think they're making when they're not really making those choices and it's a it's a whole area of psychology i find utterly fascinating um and i think that's something which is now becoming a factor with cybersecurity. You know that ability to, um, uh, you know, fool people into giving away details, and 
maybe because it's a vector which is so uncommonly used it's so infrequently used you know much more common is your phishing emails isn't it um that perhaps it catches people off guard you know when you phone them up i don't know about you luke but i've had situations before at universities i've been into a few so i'm not narrow i'm not going to say which one actually probably more than one of them really where i've phoned up and asked to reset my password before um and then they're taking me through the password reset process and i've actually stopped them and i've said listen shouldn't you be doing some kind of authentication on me and they've said oh yeah right yeah yeah we should yeah uh, okay um uh what's your name and what's your date of birth and i'm like well it's kind of you know first of all that's rubbish and secondly it's a bit late now isn't it <laughs> i shouldn't be prompting you to authenticate me you've you've kind of missed the point and I, and, I, and I don't know whether people just take, you know, if they, if they hear a voice, they think, you know, this, this person's talking to me, therefore, clearly, it's all legitimate. And, you know, when you have so much information posted nowadays, so many people giving away so much information about themselves for free on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, you know, you've, you've heard these arguments before, but it puts you in a perfect position, doesn't it, to be... Um, exploited through somebody phoning you up and pretending to be somebody else and i suspect i don't know the details of how it was done but i suspect it was done rather efficiently um it was certainly done efficiently enough for somebody to to gain the credentials to get access to twitter's systems from from what i understand they gained access to their systems but in the first instance the uh, level of access which they uh, the bad guys had was insufficient to do the um, the activities which we now know took place you know tweeting on behalf of other people looking at their uh, um, direct messages their dms etc but while they were in the network they utilized they leveraged that to work out how twitter's internal systems operated this is what I've read, right? I don't I haven't been involved in any of the investigations there. Um, and that enabled them to discover who the people were that who they did need to socially engineer in order to get access to the systems that would allow them to tweet on behalf of others, etc. And then it looks like they did the attack again. They replicated the same method of um of vishing, as I understand it. Phoning them up. I mean, so, it was very impressive, though, wasn't it? Like to coordinate that many users at the same time. But I guess, like, the only thing I'd like to say about that is, like, once you've got one person and they've bought into it, then if you're targeting the person sat next to them and they've already had a chat and said, "Oh yeah, I just got this call from IT support. They needed to do this. They say they're doing it around the entire company." Then, you, then that adds validity to the second person, I guess. So I'm not sure if it was like a case like that potentially could make it easier, but still very impressive I, I, I expect so i think there's probably a, a um and again this is all speculation i would imagine a significant period of reconnaissance prior to en- anybody picking the phone up learning as much as you can about a the individual but b about the organization and how it operates you know because y- you have to sort of layer you have to put layers together don't you layer upon layer upon layer of of indicators that you're legitimate um, until you reach the point where, you know, obviously charm is incredibly important too. 
and you know this is this is just a a more sophisticated version of you know the people who get you know who get caught out when they um they transfer that you know when people phone and pretending to be the bank it's the same thing right it's just old-fashioned con artistry um to 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 get that information and perhaps you know we're so focused on the on the technical that we we miss sometimes the the old school methods of manipulation and maybe we need to start having a think about that and taking that more seriously within uh, within the cybersecurity industry well and just to add to that i mean it's so much more difficult right if somebody's is somebody is like quite trustworthy in their nature they just generally trust people how do you not or how do you beat that out of them pretty much um because that sort of attitude could although very nice um could end up costing uh companies in the same way that it has twitter but not everybody's as cynical as you and i dave um so, I don't so, think I, yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody's as cynical as you and I, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just um, I don't know, I think you're 100 right. People need to focus on it um, on it more. But I think like vishing is said like an attack vector. I'm not aware of many um, like social engineering uh, or anti-social engineering vendors that actually focus on that. I mean, like you know, lots of or like forward thinking uh, organizations now, they have phishing campaigns and stuff like that that go out to all of their uh, employees. But I'm yet to hear of anybody doing it for vishing or smishing, which is over SMS. Well, I, I, I know uh, I, I had a chat to, uh, uh, without saying which one of it, one of them it was, I had a chat to one of the set guys once and he told me that actually this was quite common um, and that some of the breaches that they had been successful with were a result of phoning up and pretending to be the IT manager and you know sometimes they would you know they would phone the IT manager first to learn what they sounded like on the phone right and 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 then to learn what they sounded like when they were angry and then to phone up as that person with the same tone and try to imitate them so you know it, it, it's not a new thing it would seem um but it but in this in this case it it, it was obviously incredibly effective uh, you know, it just goes to show it doesn't matter what you put in place technically. You know, the, again, it's the, uh, the, the, you know, humans are a vulnerability. We've heard it many times before, and I think maybe we should start paying it more attention now. Um, but there's, there's a couple of things as well I'd like to discuss around this, actually. The, 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 the first one is, so they got vished, right? They got fished, they got phoned. So it occurs to me, as I'm talking now, actually, that, um, you know, there's, has did covid have an issue here is this a remote work did remote working have an impact on this because you know what what phone number was used to contact these people so presumably most of them would be working at home might would be my guess right so so then maybe they're working from mobile phones maybe it's their person maybe do they use their personal mobile phone do they all have a work mobile phone um and and that interests me because h- how was the number obtained, or was it was it redirected? Did somebody put them through to a mobile number? Because I think if you get caught on your own mobile number, sometimes that also might might be a bit more disarming than if it, if they rang up on a uh, on a, um, a a corporate landline. Do you think there might be something in that? Definitely, it's not something I've actually considered to be honest about how COVID could have affected it. I mean, it depends if they were working remotely um, anyway, but I thought, so and as an additional layer of control, because like, I mean, in Twitter's last blog post, they put um, 
and I quote, that there's been some concern uh, following this incident around our tools and the level of employee access, right? So first off the bat, like you need strong authentication on these like God tier admins, but you would have thought location could have been one of those factors, right? Like if you're not logging in or using these tools from inside uh, Twitter HQ or wherever, then you shouldn't be allowed to use them. But I don't know if that was a control and then COVID uh, and the advent of like remote working could have eaten into that sort of control. I'm I think sure it's a really I, interesting point. I, yeah, I think I think it could have done. I mean, if you so if we go back and look at the the the, the mechanisms, the original uh, breach was to get access into Twitter, into into systems which, as you put it, didn't have God mode. So I don't know how that may have been. You know, maybe a VPN or some other mecha- mechanism of connecting through. But once they'd got connection through to their internal systems, at that point. You know, if there was any sort of whitelisting, blacklisting in, in 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 place, it wouldn't have impact. It wouldn't have affected the bad guys because the bad guys would be having a Twitter IP address as they're trying to access that next system, right? So, you know, I can I can I can see how if those systems were in place, they would have been circumvented through that. Um, and, and, and maybe you know, maybe that's what's happened, and maybe because maybe there was particular people who were VPNing in that 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 wouldn't have been before, or may have been uncomfortable with the remote. It may it may have had a it may have had a fact. It, it may be a factor. I'm just just chucking that out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good. It's a good good thought. Very good thought. Um, I I still don't buy into the fact that they had such like god tier accounts. I mean, like just um before the podcast, we were discussing what we Dave about like the implications of like this sort of access um, and them being able to like, because some of the people's like direct messages were accessed, right? And you can imagine if you got the direct uh, into the messages of like Barack Obama, for example, or like Jeff Bezos, then there could be something particularly useful in there that you could use to manipulate like stock prices in terms of like Bezos or I don't know, it's like purely speculative, but giving people the tools to access the direct messages. um, We had quite an interesting conversation around that, didn't we, Dave? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something you don't really think about, is it? Um, I do want to talk about two-factor authentication in a minute as well. I think that might be worth a conversation. Um, but, but yeah, it's something you don't normally think about, isn't it? When you think about direct messaging, I mean, I must admit, you know, there's times when I've DM'd, you know, particular people, some of them, you know, maybe of interest uh, to, to to certain parties, um, and you know some of the things i've asked and some of the things i've said maybe maybe i should have been a bit more cautious you know i mean we i recognize the fact that it's not a sort of a, a signal level um secure system but still you don't imagine that uh you know potentially thousands of other people uh within twitter would have the ability to read your direct messages um and clearly it would appear that is the case uh or at least a significant number i don't know exactly how many but you know um lots so yeah I, that's that's it's, it's maybe just something that we all need to bear in mind i think when you're using uh when you're using twitter and dming people yeah absolutely because i think i think from my point of view like on these sort of platforms i feel like there does need to be like uh, I'm, I'm definitely not anti-encryption um let's not like say it like that but i think on these sort of platforms people just need to have that awareness because there's very good reasons why these chats are monitored um to stop criminal activities and you know all sorts of other nasty things um that i think we as outsiders don't necessarily get to see but i'm sure the twitter moderation team or facebook moderation team you know they they have to see these 
horrible like messages and criminal acts and stuff like that. So I do think there is a good reason why these chats um, should be should be read uh, at some point. But I know that just pushes it underground. But still, you've got to have some controls. Um, but yeah, hopefully, I know people listening will just have a bit more of an insight into what what these platforms can see and uh, what platforms can't see as well. well. Well, if they, if they did go on underground, then they, they, they certainly would have made a poor choice if they went to EncroChat, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rip. <laughs> uh, um, Two-factor two authentication, here's another one, right? So um, so, so th- the bad guys have got access into the internal systems and then they pivot from there to get access to the systems. You know, they, they, they uh, social engineer uh, people um, to get the permissions that then allow them to access the systems that they can tweet from, et cetera. Would, wouldn't you think that during the authentication process, right, for those individuals, that there would be, you know, some a decent form of multi-factor authentication? I mean, you know, I'm not just talking about, I don't mean sending an email or an SMS. I'm sort of talking about, I don't know, maybe Google Authenticator or something like that to, to, to ratify that that is indeed the person who they say they are. I can't get why something that of such significance and importance wouldn't have that in place am i missing something oh um i mean it might have done right like if it's a social engineering thing like you get a call from TechSport and they say oh hi we're just doing this um i'm just about i need to log into your account to do this uh and to do that i'll need your um mfa token is that something that you can just send to me and then we can get this done for you and i'll let you get on with your work day sort of thing so i I feel as if like it may have done we don't know for sure but i mean that's why i was going down the route of um like somewhere you are as well as being like one of those factors, like inside Twitter HQ or something like that to access these God TMOs. But I mean, the only mm. other like authentication factor right, that comes to mind. Um, so you've got something you have, which is like the 2FA token uh, or like Google Authenticator, as you said, or your mobile phone, um, something, you know, a password somewhere you are, which said like Twitter HQ, but then like something you are. So like biometrics, I don't know what else they've got for although, that. Although if you, if you're talking and by the way, that, that, that was, that was pretty impressive. That, that vish impression you did there. Um, is this, I'm just worried in case maybe you were involved in, it, in <laughs> something you're not telling me, but, 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 but even, you know, even, even if it's biometrics, right. The, the person could say, Oh, can you just put your finger on the thing or, on the reader? Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, just look into the camera for us. Okay, yeah, that's it. I'm in now. You're an absolute star. Thank you. You've saved me there. You know that kind of cobblers. Yeah, like it's it's challenging. The only the only like it's the it's the biological factor, isn't it? That's the only thing. Just more security awareness training and getting people so they're aware of these uh, of these sort of attacks and getting all of your employees prepared for it like when we go into organizations and give like phishing training and like cyber awareness training just to ensure like even just a basic level of cyber hygiene um is used by all employees so what 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 could we do then right so let's 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 not just talk about a problem without offering any potential solutions here because that would be a bit you know um you know things that things that strike me are first of all making sure that uh Phones being used and not bring your own device. They are work-based phones, right? Um, and uh, and and secondly, should there be some kind of uh, whitelist on these phones so that only certain people can phone in? That you can't just phone in from anywhere. You can only phone in from a from a, a particular range of numbers, or you know, it, I mean, surely you know, if you want to 
can we not should we not be employing the same techniques that we employ with uh you know um uh access via the internet you know where you where you whitelist ips why not why can't we whitelist phone numbers i guess Good idea, actually. Or like, you know, um, in Outlook or Gmail, where it says um, this email was sent by somebody outside your organization, have exactly the same thing on a phone when it says uh, this phone number is dialing in from outside your organization. So you know that it's not text port um, or unless you have a third party, but there's be some sort of control mechanism there for sure. We'd have to be a bit careful with that, of course, because I mean, phone numbers are spoofable, aren't they? So well, yeah, to... especially text messages, right? Okay, okay. So, 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 yeah. Although you can't read, you know, it's not a two-way thing, though, is it? So you can't like with a text message. If you spoof the text message, you can send a message out on it. But if that person replies back, it doesn't go to the guy who spoofed it. It goes to the guy who actually does have that number. So, so yeah. it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be all that easy, would it? I suppose. Um, but but I think putting putting that in place would help. And then of course the old chestnut, uh, more security awareness training for employees. Yeah, I mean that's that's something that I think probably every organization should look into right yeah i think so i think so so i don't know are we about there should we should we wrap it up i think we've we've had a good chat about that absolutely yeah okay all right then let's uh let's let's leave it there then um so uh, I shall, who, who's saying the cheerios are you saying the cheerios jay yeah i can do uh thanks for us over at uh 404 thanks guys see you next time bye guys cheers guys bye